Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Ben Mosley. Now, Ben served in the military. After getting out, he bought his first chunk of property up in Wisconsin, which props to him. I mean, that's the place to buy if you're going to. Um, but then took a job down in Louisiana. And so he actually travels pretty consistently up to Wisconsin to manage his property and to hunt up there. So I'm pretty excited to pick his brain, hear what management practices he's got going on, the types of deer. Uh, the age class, the rack size, all of those improvements that he's seen since beginning his management practices and hunting on that new chunk of land. And so we're going to jump into this episode with Ben right now. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Ben Mosley. He is a Wisconsin native, but now lives down in Louisiana after serving in the military, getting a job down there doing search and rescue. Um, but this guy is a passionate whitetail hunter, hunting in what some would consider the best county in the country for whitetails. Um, we're going to dive into whitetails, I mean, start to finish on this episode. So I'm pretty excited about it. Ben, thanks for hopping on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, for, for the listeners, why don't you start out by giving an intro of yourself? Maybe uh, talk about who you are, what it is about whitetails that just gets your blood boiling. Uh, so I started uh, deer hunting when I was 12. Uh, I think 2001 is when I started deer hunting. I uh, started bow hunting then too, um, right away. And the way it happened, it was funny. My dad just kind of grabbed me. He's like, hey, we're going bow hunting. And I'd, I'd shot league before a little bit when I was a kid. Um, shot a little bit. Um, I was okay. He basically set me up, say, hey, shoot within 20 yards. And then uh, one day, like I said, we just went bow hunting, like no prep or anything really. Went up on my uncle's farm, put up a blind, and that's where I ended up shoot my first year was on his his farm um but i didn't really get seriously into bow hunting until i'd say my senior year in high school and uh that's when i joined the military so there was a big six-year gap between me getting out and then really starting to pick up i bought my farm in 2012 or 2013 when i was on a deployment um, started out with 38 acres, and then I bought another little adjoining piece, um, and I keep trying to buy parcels as it comes up for sale by me, but it's like pulling teeth to find land. But yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a lot of big players searching out land in that county. Yeah, homegrown's gotten pretty big. They're actually selling a farm. They're selling one of their oh, pieces. Really? Um, and they... I know they're starting in Minnesota and Kansas, I believe. 
But they run their outfitters a lot different than most outfitters I found. They run a four-year cycle where they'll have hunters for three years and then no hunters for the fourth year. Oh, okay. I think that that's a good thing. Um, that's a really good thing as far as uh, the potential of the antler size that you'll see. They're not going to start smoking a bunch of three-and-a-half and four-year, four-and-a-half-year-old deer. Yeah. No, that's – I mean, that's awesome. When you leave – leave a place to rest like that there i mean people don't understand just how much benefit comes from that type of thing um and honestly i haven't put a ton of um stock in that until all of a sudden i moved out to colorado for two years nobody really hunted this property here in missouri that i've got access to and i came back went out late summer scouting and man the amount of big bucks that are out here and i'm not talking like 180 inch deer i don't have a bunch of 160s running around but compared to what i saw before i moved it was night and day i mean i'm talking going out into a field and watching seven eight nine bucks that are 100 inches up to 140 all walking through and i had never seen that in all the years i hunted it before um and that was just two years that we were gone yeah and some of that could just be the pressure that's put on the property um but I think as far as homegrown goes, it's because I think their success rate's pretty high. Yeah. Everyone that goes out there shoots something that's pretty, pretty good. I haven't seen anything posted on their social media that's less than 140. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense as an outfitter, you, you want high success rates so that people come back or, I mean, you want, you want, uh, yeah, you just want big buck encounters and a lot of them. And the more you can facilitate that, even if you have to take a year off every, every four years, it's going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah. And I don't, I don't take years off, obviously. Um, I don't, I really can't think of very many people that do. Um, but the way I have my property is set up is I can hunt it. I've got certain stands where I can hunt every day and it would be very little footprint or impact on my property so long as the wind and thermals are right but i've got yeah. stands i come in using a creek and basically go right to the base of the tree climb up and then i can come back down nothing will ever see me nothing will ever pick up ground scent it's uh i've got a couple bulletproof stands that's cool on my bacon parcel that i can hunt i've actually got one spot um that's in like a little three acre patch that's in the corner of someone's driveway and uh, main road. I mean, I can watch everybody drive down the main road about 50 away, and I see a lot of deer there. Um, the buck that I was actually after this last season, I had an opportunity at him at 27 yards. Didn't shoot him. <laughs> he, uh, he came into the water hole and faced right at me downhill and i drew back i was drawn back for i don't know a couple minutes and uh i think he's just started to know something was up i think he picked me out in the tree and then uh didn't run he just bounded off into cover and walked away dang so and then prior to that i had another opportunity at him um the woods just blew up i think it was uh like november 8th the woods blew up. There were bucks running all over the place, and he came through. I mean, hard nose to the ground, six, seven yards, 
I I had my bow in my hand already, so I drew back, but there was he was not stopping. Yeah. Dude, so, those encounters are heartbreaking, man. You're yeah. like, it's all coming to it right now, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work out. But at the same time, I was a little happy I didn't shoot him because he looked like he was starting to get a little bit of a drop time in his uh, back left main beam. Oh, nice. So like, oh, well, I, he's going to be nice next year while opening week in a rifle season. Well, watched him get shot by the neighbors. There was a, uh, a hot doe in there, and he was running around. I saw him on the hillside chasing the doe. Neighbor missed him once, and then 45 minutes later, he came back. Oh, no. The same spot got shot. I'm like, well, shit, my season's done. So I loaded up the truck and drove back down to Louisiana. Yeah, what's what's that like? I mean, having such a hot spot that you've put a lot of energy and time into and figuring out the deer, having the bulletproof stands, but then living on the opposite side of the country. Well, even though I live on the opposite side of the country, my two-week schedule is where I'm off two weeks on two weeks and I've got a wife that's pretty understanding. Um, I just hop on a plane, come up to Wisconsin, get my work done. And I'd say that I still have more time to do it than somebody that lives right on their property. Someone that works at five, five days, two days off. Yeah. Type of no. schedule. I was just up there for six days. Um, I spent most of the time, pissing around with the tractor trying to get it fixed um, <laughs> but brand new tractor ended up having to come out and then they fixed it dang the what what kind of work uh have you done since you purchased it on the property the main thing that i've done so when i purchased that property i could stand on one ridge and look all the way through the entire property so i've dropped i've dropped a lot of trees a lot of trees um, just going through with the chainsaw. Um, and what I like to do is I kind of layer it when I drop everything. Um, so my property is uh, kind of like a wood, like a, a lot of people would call it like a, just a secluded wood lot. Okay. I'm surrounded fields. The woods itself is 28 acres. I've got a marsh on the east side and then uh, open egg on the west side. And then the neighbors is adjoining and it's a pretty open woodlot and more agriculture to the south. It's all pasture. So the main thing that I had to do is thicken up the cover. Um, I'm lucky to where I never really, I don't have an issue with invasives. I've got very little buckthorn, very little bush honeysuckle that I just take care of when I walk up to it. Usually I can just pull it out of the ground. It's usually pretty young. Yeah. Um, the I usually carry a little bottle of um, uh, Roundup and blue dye for the buckthorn. Um, but the bottle, I don't have it here. It's up in Wisconsin. It's like a little roll-on bottle. It works really well for just having in your pocket a little baggie to zap something real quick. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I would say the biggest thing that I've done is just dropped a lot of timber. Um, I put a lot of the open fields that I have in the CRP and then left. I think I've got about six acres of food on my property that I'll rotate through um, greens, beans, and corn. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, the ag field that's around you, what, what kind of crops are they typically putting? Is it all corn? Hey. Hey, okay. 
I've got very little grain where I'm at that's around me. Um, I would say the closest cornfield that's actually harvested is three quarters of a mile away. And it, wow. it doesn't cover. I'd been in, I'd been in that area when I was a kid. Um, it's actually my grandpa that leases it and does the uh, farming for it. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome, man, to not have that kind of grain close by. I mean, that gives you a huge advantage uh, oh, on your property with putting stuff in. Uh, and then to the south of me, I can see the, I can see it, but there's uh, the farmer right next to me. He just does He has a turkey farm, but he put in uh, corn and beans just as kind of a food plot, but his cover's pretty bad there. And uh, I lost you for a minute. But this winter, after they clean me out, that's where they're at. So they're about, I don't know, half a mile, three quarters in that food plot. But I can't imagine it's going to last through February. Yeah. Dang, man. So so you've got this secluded woodlot. You've done some habitat stuff. And I hear that all the time. This is my first chunk of land that I'm actually able to do stuff on. You know, I've put in small food plots here and there. But as far as actually creating cover or anything like that i haven't been able to on the properties um that i've had access to but i hear all the time chainsaw like that's all you need to like if you want to make some serious improvements at a cheap price a chainsaw is the way to go and yeah do, like just dropping timber getting some more cover in there uh getting some more of that understory growth uh promoting that like you'll you'll produce a ton of food and a ton, ton of cover all at once yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing that I would suggest to most people before they go in there and just start dropping stuff is bring a forester in, learn the tree species, yeah. and take care of the basins before you do that. I mean, you might have just a lot of young bush honeysuckle. I know bush honeysuckle is an issue in Missouri or um, buckthorn or something like that, but it's a lot easier to take care of that when it's a foot to two foot tall and just zap it right as it starts greening up with foliar spray than it is to have to go in there, cut it and then treat the stump or do some kind of basil bark treatment. I was lucky. I didn't really have to do that. Yeah. So a lot of red maple and deer love the tops as soon as I drop them. Um, actually while I was home, that's what I was doing mostly was I uh, had a hillside that I wanted to get a lot thicker that adjoins the food plot. So I went in there, dropped a bunch of timber, and then uh, I think a day after day after I was done, I had two uh, two big bucks back on camera that I hadn't gotten in over a month on camera. Dang. I uh, So when, when you're dropping this stuff, are you fully cutting it down? Are you doing hinge cutting? What What are you doing for that? I don't like hinge cutting. Um, there's some tree species where I will hinge cut um, only in certain areas. Um, so most of the time I'll just flush cut it to the ground. Um, usually about a third of the height of the diameter is what you want the stump to be. Uh, but as far as hinge cutting, the only trees that I'll hinge cut would be like an elm because it's got that tight fiber um, it hinges really well. Maples tend to barber chair and tear when and they just, they don't stay alive. Some people have had a lot of luck, but for whatever reason, the red maple that I have on mine, they do not hinge cut. Um, okay. and uh, places where I'll do hinge cutting is like on the, cre on the crown of a hill. Um, 
or a point where I know deer will bed in that area, I'll hinge cut those trees just to kind of create a, a barrier screen initially until that ground cover comes back up. And then usually I end up going back in there and I'll cut those hinge cuts, flush the ground. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. I mean, I've, like I said, I haven't been able to do a lot of that stuff yet, but this property I'm on, it's got, it's got a small amount of woods on it. Uh, only like three to five acres of woods. The rest had been pasture and it looks like they had done crops in like years, years back. Yeah. But the nice thing is it it creates a natural funnel. So I've got big woods south of the road. Then I've got this long north to south finger of trees then a single tree fence row or like a single row of trees on this fence line that lead to the north and it's all corn north of me so it's probably i'd say about 160 acres of corn so i've got this natural cover um or this funnel that's cover that goes all the way up and i was pretty pumped yesterday i put out a trail camera for the first time i mean we've only been in it for a week or on this property went to put out a trail camera yesterday had four does bound out of that little woodlot and i was like yes like this is amazing i go through there there were two cedars that i found it was close to dark and so i wasn't gonna hang out in there super long um but i found two cedars that were both too big to get my hands around that were just shredded i mean like three feet of them were just tore up and uh, i'm pretty excited we'll see what I can turn three acres into or five acres of cover into, but also there's a tractor on the property. It doesn't run yet, but hopefully it will. Uh, I'm hoping to do some, some work with that. I'm, I'm just pumped, man. I'm super excited. So I love talking to people who have done work on properties already and had success with it. How much water do you have around you? So a lot of it is wet weather water. So, you know, if it's, if it's spring and raining like crazy, there's a lot of cattle ponds that will hold water. Uh, there's Creek systems that will flood. Um, but in the, in the summer, most of it dries up. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to be doing is putting in water out here. And I've got some guys that do a lot of dirt work and they've already talked to me about it. One, I like to frog gig. I like to duck hunt. And so I do want to put a body of water in out in one of these fields, but also uh, from when the previous owner ran cattle on it all the way on the far West side, only about 40 yards North of the cover are two water spigots on a fence line with big old troughs right there. So there's water all the way out to the far corner of the property. And, uh, I think that I could solve the water issue pretty quickly out here. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I hunt over a lot of water holes. I do water tanks. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Earthlines. Yeah. But uh, they're actually in Chippewa Falls, which is fairly close to me. Um, I put those in, put two of the 80-gallon tanks in. Um, before, I was doing the cattle watering holes, um, like 100 gallons. Um, they did all right. They, I just like the way the Earthlines look more. And yeah. I don't have to throw a stick in them. The rodents will, uh, they can climb up the side of the earth blinds. And I've put sticks in before and then had deer come in and knock that stick out. And then I go back and there's three or four dead mice floating in there. And that's never fun. No, no, that would suck. Um, 
yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to check that out because there's excuse me, there's a a lot of opportunity to get water in. In fact, one spot in the woods, it was completely dried up when I when I went back to look at it, but it looks like it used to be a wet weather pond. But yeah, now it's all full of leaves. I don't know what it would take for that to actually hold water, but I'll definitely check out. <clears throat> wow, excuse me. I'll definitely check out that water tank. Yeah. Um, the other thing being in where you're at in Missouri too, the other thing that I would consider as far as shallow natural, well, I wouldn't call it natural, but like a dug in pond is EHD. I, don't, I haven't really experienced EHD where I'm at. Yeah. I think I lost you. <clears throat> you there? Yeah, I lost you for a minute. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, EHD, it's definitely a concern down here. You know, if it's stagnant water, that's that's the number one yeah. issue. But if you can continue to keep the water fresh or moving somehow, um, you know, the the threat of that, that goes down significantly. It's actually the mud where those midges breed. Oh, the the mud on the on the edges uh, and all that. Water starts receding. Um, you start getting that cracked mud, and those midges will stay in that in the uh, mud there, and that's where they'll breed and become more prevalent. Yeah. So that's why I've stayed with the plastic water tanks. Is I if I can avoid having EHD in my area, I'm going to do everything that I can to avoid it. Man, that's really interesting. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that it was more the mud. You know, I, I would always hear on the dry, dry seasons where the water would recede. I, I just, I don't know if I just assumed it or what, that it was the, the fact that when the water recedes, you know, you're not having it coming and going out of a pond. And so it just was stagnant, but it's actually the mud on the edges. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually where they're, where they're living and breeding. Dang, that's that's great to know. So yeah, that's another big benefit of the the plastic water tanks. And uh, I know Earthblinds did release a bigger tank. Okay, I think it's considerably bigger. They're six hundred bucks, so they're not cheap. But really, when you look at having an excavator or a um, track loader or something coming in to dig you a pond, I mean that's still going to cost three four hundred bucks to dig it yeah um, if it's off and then that that's not even guaranteed to work i mean i can't tell you how many times i've heard of people having a pond put in and it doesn't hold water and then yeah. they try putting liners in and the deer step on the liners and then they put holes in the liners and then they're um i can't remember what the stuff's called but it's like uh like some sort of gravel it's not gravel but they'll put that down and pack it and that doesn't always work. I would just rather use the uh, the big water holes. I mean, the earth blinds are, I don't know, a little over a foot deep. You've got the, the sides that the rodents can climb up, like I talked about. They're pretty easy to put in if you're uh, willing to spend a little bit of time with a shovel or if you've got a tractor with a front-end loader. And so they're pretty yeah, durable. That'd be worth checking it or looking into for sure. I know around here, a lot of the farmers uh, have cattle ponds that they've put in. Um, luckily, the the earth down here, there's a ton of clay 
in the soil as soon as you get down just a little ways. And so that seems to be what a lot of them do. They'll, they'll just kind of push out from the center, they'll get into the clay, and then that ends up being the top layer of the whole pond. And then once it's full, I mean, it <clears throat> it stays full pretty well. Um, you know, there's definitely some that you drive by where you're like, they didn't do something right because it's bone dry at the bottom of it come June and July. Yeah. What uh what do you have what do you have going on now with your property? Or actually, let's back up. So you bought your property. How many years have you had it now? Uh 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. So over the course of that 10 years, with the habitat improvement, with you know, being able to put the time in up there and then having the time to get out and hunt, what have you seen like success-wise with the deer herd, with the numbers, with the age structure, uh, what, what has that been like for you? Uh, huge. It went from the wintertime not having a single deer track in it, very little deer in it in general, to um, now I'm the person that's killing the biggest deer in the area pretty consistently every year. Dang. So last year I didn't kill anything. That was my mistake. I <laughs> At least, uh, at least already, you can own it. Yeah, but I mean, like these, these two back here are my last two. Um, my wife doesn't like having a lot of head mounts in the house, so the rest are hanging up in the garage. I've got some still in Wisconsin. There's some other stuff up in the attic, but I've killed. Uh, I think I've killed a buck every year, but sixteen and nineteen. Okay. And six, really busy with school and uh 19 i just had a i mean i just started working here at bristow and and actually that buck right there i'd hit that one in the corner yeah i shot it <laughs> in 19 um hit him high like i was i was already calling the taxidermist <laughs> and uh like day before rifle season so he got away i'm just like great that that sucks i mean i mean as soon as i saw the arrow hit and i saw the arrow kind of flip and like that was a really bad shot tracked him uh probably tracked him for a few hundred yards and then lost blood i could tell right away i was just a, looked like a muscle hit blood yeah and 2020 is when i ended up killing him on halloween ended up i actually ended up switching stands twice I knew what he was going to do. I started out on the uh, west side of my property, kind of central. And uh, first thing in the morning, as I, well, first I'm walking in and I got in late. And I looked down into the um, hayfield that borders that western side. And I see a whole bunch of just figures of deer. So I'm crawling on the top of this hill. I've got a bunch of CRP up on top. And I'm using the tractor trail. Crawl to the stand get up the stand and about as soon as I get up the stand and I'm saddled, I look down and I see a big body deer put my binoculars on it. It's, it's him standing there. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay, cool. Can I swear on this? Is that, Oh yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. You're good, man. All right. Just making sure. Um, and he, uh, he went up into one of the really thick bedding areas, budged a doe and a fawn around. And I texted one of my buddies. I'm like, I think I know where he's going to go. I think he's going to go right past the stand and then I'd hit him in before. So I get out of my stand and uh, I run west 
and I've got a big hill on that side, and I basically all the way around the property using the terrain as cover, and I get in that stand. We've also got 19-mile-an-hour winds that day, so I can pretty much make as much noise as I want to make, and I'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. I get that stand, and I don't, 20, 30 minutes later, he comes through that bedding area, but he, he's skirting the stand. He's, I mean, he is like, there's no way I'm going up there again. I'm not getting shot. <laughs> I'm mad at him. He didn't hear it. Um, but he's about 70 yards away and he, um, goes out, cuts the corner of the hayfield, goes over on the neighbors. And I'm like, well, I know where he's going to go. Cause, um, a friend of mine had said, Hey, I just saw, I saw a huge buck cut across the hayfield and cut through your small patch. I'm like, okay. So I get out of my stand and just before I walk out of the woods, I'm like, I better glass the neighbor's wood line and just make sure he's not standing in there looking way as soon as i put my binoculars up i see his head turn he's about 100 yards walking away down the fence line i'm like okay well 19 mile an hour winds he's in real cover i just started following him just started walking along my fence line and the neighbor's fence line and i'm like i know what trail he's gonna come and uh he got pretty close to that trail and he started turning like he's gonna go towards it and i ranged the tree that right by the trail and I'm like okay 48 yards and we're down kind of in a in a bottom so the wind's just blowing over the top he steps out hops out of the um thick cover into the hay field and I shot him oh my gosh yeah. gotta be kidding me <laughs> when I wounded him I shot him at like 12 yards I mean I was just like you screwed up like a chip shot and then when I killed him I shot him at 48 so I was like okay not only 48, but like getting down, like, oh, it's windy enough. I'm gonna, I know right where he's going. You, I mean, what a wild story to actually like end up circling back and connecting with that deer. It was nuts, like, it was absolutely nuts. And then, uh, come to find out, he was shot at the night before. Really? Oh, yeah, my gosh, it about three miles north of me and shot at him and shot right under him. Dude, that, I mean, that, that has got to be one of the worst feelings as a hunter, aside from like shooting, wounding and knowing that it died, but like never recovering an animal, like shooting at one, missing it. And then the very next night it getting killed by somebody else. I mean, obviously you love how that story ended, but I'm sure that kid was not, not thrilled. I mean, I was at the other end of that this year, and like I said, it was completely my fault, or yeah. like I said, completely my fault. Um, I mean, I, I could have shot him. Like, my setup, my arrow setup, I could have shot him. Um, but I was just thinking, oh, well, he's going to be bigger next year. He's yeah. made it this long. Nobody's killed him. He'll be fine. And then just sitting in the box line, I do not take gun season seriously at all. I basically go there just to make sure I don't have trespassers. And I've got my nephew with me, and we're in the big box line. I call it the nap shack because that's what I do. <laughs> I'm just sleep eater. And uh, my nephew, five-year-old nephew is the one that saw me. He goes, there's a deer. This deer is like two, 300 yards away. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like, I'm pretty sure that's him. I wasn't really able to to confirm for sure that it was him. But 
just assuming because I knew he was betting over there and online. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely him. Neighbor shoots at him. I see the doe running around. I see him running around. I see two other smaller body deer following behind him. Like, I hope they just go over the bluff and don't come back. And 45 minutes later, I hear the neighbor shoot again and didn't see the deer on the ground. Um, but then the guy's wife with the side-by-side -side came over and I saw four times up in the back. And I'm like, I think that's him. Go over to the neighbors and neighbors like, oh, yeah, you can go take a look at him. He's in the back of my truck. And I'm like, first, I'm like, oh, cool. It, it's not him. It's that uh, it's that other. I was thinking that it was uh, this bully buck that we'd had because all I saw was like short times. Well, then as soon as I stuck my head over the top, I'm like, OK, that's him. Oh, man. So, like I said, went home. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. I got to ask, okay, so that buck back in the corner, how wide is that deer? Because, I mean, I can just, it, it's not huge on my screen, but it looks so wide. Dude, uh, honestly, I've never measured it. I've really? never, I, I don't score any of my deer. I'm, hang on, I'll go get a tape measure real quick. Yeah, get a tape measure. For For the people listening, I mean, I say it's not that big. I'm saying on my screen the actual image size isn't very big, but that deer looks like it's four inches outside the ears on each side. And I, I mean, I've seen some wide bucks, but that thing is just, Oh my gosh. And now that you're walking back to it, seeing the character of it. Whew, I, I love those big square frame bucks that are just wide. <clears throat> Get them out like this. Oh, this is nerve wracking to watch. I'm slowly turning this. All right, he's off. Holy cow, dude! Oh man, for for those that are watching this, you're gonna have to go on or listening to this. You're gonna have to go on and uh, check this out on YouTube because that is a monster buck. He is. 20 and three quarter. 20 and three quarter? Three quarter on the inside. Dude, what what a stud. So, and then I don't know if you can see this back here, but how this curled around. Oh, my this, gosh. He was, uh, he was bigger the year that I hit him. Dude, I, I, I don't know what I would do if that deer walked in front of me. I mean, I would hopefully shoot it, but that is a stud buck, man. Congrats. Well, and that's awesome that you got, got to connect with him the next year. It was uh it was a pretty fun hunt. And then when I texted my buddy that I was texting, he's like, you, you what? I'm like, yeah, I just shot him off the ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that the only buck you've shot off the ground like that? I mean, I can't imagine that's, that happens very often. That's the only buck I've shot out of a tree stand. Oh, really? Most not out of ground blinds. Oh, okay. But, I mean, like, actually on foot going after him. Yeah. But, spot. Yeah. That's the only – I mean, that – if any other day, I think – I don't think I would have done that because I would have been like, I'm just going to bust this deer. Yeah. But as, as it was, I mean, you could just hear that wind tearing up over the top of the hill and I couldn't even hear myself really walking. So I wasn't really too concerned about it. I'm, I got in the tree 
um, the first with tree that I'd gotten in, and it was a little bit smaller, and I'm up in the tree. I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> really? You're just getting ready to launch out of the tree or for the tree to snap off yeah. of you in it? Um, and uh, I should take a picture of that tree and send it to you, and you'd be like, why did you put a stand in that tree? That is <laughs> but it, it's, that stand's getting pulled this year, but it's actually rotten right underneath the stand. And I didn't know that at the time that I'd hung it in that red maple. And so it's going to be pulled and moved back. I found another tree. It's going to be about five yards away from it. But yeah, that was a, that's, that's the stupid stand. <laughs> the stupid stand. <laughs> the nap shack and the stupid stand. I like, I, I hear people's creative names for their bucks. I like your names for your stands and your hunting spots. <laughs> My dad, uh, I had him hunt out of. Uh, that year that I shot that buck and uh, he came down and was like, I'm not hunting in that stand anymore. He's like, that is way too high. I'm like, that stand is not high, but it's on a hillside, a really steep hillside. So you're up it and it looks like you're a hundred foot up. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with rogue Texan outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me, and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah, I don't, I, I never hang high in stands. I just, I'm not that guy. I don't care to be super far up. I mean, my stand, my average stand height is probably between 12 and 16 feet, I would guess. Or like even yeah. when I, even when I sit in my saddle, I don't go super high up and I've just never been that guy. I've got guys, I had one guy who came out and I was like, yeah, dude, you can come out and hunt. I don't think he's killed a deer in Missouri or had at that point. And so I was like, dude, put a stand up. There's this like four way fence crossing uh, that makes just an, uh, dissects the property into four different quadrants it's a Creek system that runs through it. I was like, there's cattle that come through all the time. Like I don't see a ton of deer activity right there, but I do know that they use it, but the cattle all day long are running in and out of it. I go down there to pull some stands. I think it was like two years ago. That Joker had a stand like 35 feet up in this tree. I'm talking like you're passing multiple crotches where like giant branches are coming out and it gets to the point where this trees like six inches around and he's got his stand hanging in there i climbed about 25 feet up and i was like i'm not doing this i'm not pulling this stand out and so i climbed back down and made my buddy go up and take it out the rest of the way i'm not i'm not that guy man i'm not getting up to the top that stand really isn't hung high but it's at the top of the hill yeah oh, it's only about 20 22 feet up and most of my stands are in that 20 22 feet but when you're hunting like midway down a hill you got to get high enough for the wind and you got to kind of get out of their sight line too, or you just, you're asking for bad news. But my oh, wife sure. is uh, convinced I'm going to die of non-natural causes. 
like last last or last spring and summer for me was just a bad year in may i but yeah end of may just before my wedding i got hit by lightning at work yeah we'd flown out to a, a platform to do a medevac and we landed we were flying in weather that we just should not have been flying in and i'm in the back and i'm just like this is fucking stupid this is fucking stupid and the pilots are like, well, we're in it now. And I'm like, yeah, I realize we're in it now. And we land on this ship to get this guy off. And, like, as soon as we land, um, my boss, is he's, he was the crew chief that day, and I was the swimmer. And then we have a medic on board and two pilots. And we land, and a lefty pilot's like, hurry, hurry up, and go get the passenger. And I, I look out the door, and I'm like, yeah, John, the uh, storm, it's going to hit us in like 10 seconds. We don't have time. And uh, right seat pilot's like, we got to spin the aircraft back up or we're going to get blown off the ship. And we just get hit with like 60 mile an hour winds. And uh, at one point, the aircraft starts listing and it's sliding across the deck. And luckily, in our right seat pilot that day, he, he saved the aircraft and everybody on board. And he's basically flying this aircraft on the deck he turned it into the wind was flying it on the deck and then uh to make matters worse the ship had to turn to get so that it wasn't broadside in the wind and that's when we had started listing really bad and uh finally it lets up enough and we get off the aircraft and i don't remember what i don't know what was going through the chief's head but he went to the baggage compartment to grab something. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? I'm like, let's just get off the deck. And like, right close the cabin door, we get hit. And like, have you ever hit a, touched an electric fence before? Yeah, oh yeah. That that pop that you hear, that's exactly what it was like. And uh, I just kind of hunched up pretty good and uh, looked over my right shoulder. I didn't get it as bad as the other two guys. And, they're both on the deck. Like they, they got dropped, but they came to, cause it was just flashover. It wasn't a direct hit and they go running off. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we, we were the ones there to medevac a patient. And we ended up being the patients and getting <laughs> the Lafayette general. And they're like, wait, what? You guys are the medical crew. And now you're the ones here getting checked. Out. <laughs> oh my God. Gosh, man, how wild! And yeah, I would imagine you know, like you're flying out in some nasty, nasty stuff. I've got a, I've got a buddy who does, uh, search and rescue. He's a, he's up. Well, he used to be up on Kodiak, uh, for the Coast Guard, and he okay. was a res- Yeah, he was a rescue diver up there and an instructor. Uh, and he had stories like that, but I have never heard a story where he got electric or got struck by lightning while trying to save other people. What's his name? His name is Andrew. Last, uh, name. last name. Gosh, why can't he married? Oh my gosh. He married a messer. I, we knew his wife a lot better than him. She actually introduced us to him. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Yeah. Cause I, I actually worked with a lot of ex coast guard swimmers that were, um, well, uh, one of them was up in Kodiak. That's still there. He was Kodiak. Oh I'm trying to think where he got stationed now because he was up there for several years and he, they actually invited us. That's the only reason we had ever gone to Alaska uh, is because we went, his sister, um, his sister was good friends with my wife in high school. 
and then uh they ended up getting married he got stationed up there and i mean they're freaking awesome like he got his pilot's license they bought a plane they've got husky or a husky and now they've got uh twins so um yeah super cool dude but he had some wild stories from up there name's not jason mcgrath is it no no his name's andrew and his wife's name is taylor and her maiden name was messer and i can't think of what their last name is for some reason that story it just sounds really familiar because we had a we've had three four or five ex-coast guard swimmers that have been from kodiak and uh one of the guys jason he came back to the states while his wife was finishing school for a pa she finished and then he's like i can't wait to go back to alaska and they went up to alaska so that's where they're living now he's like the hunting is the best hunting i've ever had and that's what i keep hearing another guy who lived in oregon he's like yeah when i was stationed in kodiak he's like the best hunting i've ever had so and they're like their star cases are nuts like yeah still works with us now uh scott he's on uh coast guard alaska and deadliest catch a few times he's like dude those those shows are such bullshit he's like we went out one day and i i actually remembered seeing the deadliest catch um show he'd gotten hoisted and the weather was really bad like it always is out in the Bering sea and he swung into a conics box and he's like, yeah, we went down there and the dude's dead. I mean, this isn't his like first rodeo. Like seeing bad stuff is normal for this guy is like, whatever. Um, I think his first call was like uh, the TWA flight that exploded in New Jersey. So he comes back, gets hoisted back up and uh, the takes his helmet off cause he's sweating. And, uh, the production team made it look like he was crying. <laughs> oh, no. He's like, are you serious? He said he called the producer. He was like, what the hell? Yeah, sorry. It wasn't my call. Somebody else did it. Whatever. But, yeah. No, yeah, the story is nuts. That's rough. It It is cool up there in Alaska, though. And a lot of those uh, flight guys and the rescue crews, they – they're big into hunting and it's funny because you walk down the hall and you see all this stuff from like the guardian, you know, the Kevin Costner, Ashton Kutcher, um, movie where they're, where he's training to be uh, search and rescue. Uh, and then you go down this hall and it's like all of the animals that these guys have killed on Kodiak yeah. and all throughout Alaska. And I mean, I'm talking, there's bears, there's mountain goats, there's deer, there's moose, elk, all their big fish that they've caught and they've got like vacuum sealers in there i'm like you guys are awesome like this is my kind of crew not to mention you guys are flying all the time so you probably see where all the best animals and hunting is on the island and they're like oh yeah dude trust me we're all taking inventory like we can't hunt the day after flying but we're definitely keeping tally of where all the animals are that we see on a regular basis yeah that guy scott that i was telling you about he he did over 20 years post guard but his description of like doing this job, I mean, we act like children all the time. Yeah. But he's like, he's like, dude, doing this job is like being in fifth grade and going to recess all day. He's like, <laughs> that, 
Because, I mean, it, it's it's such a close-knit community. You just you get to screw around. And, like, when I left the military, I was worried I was going to get fired. I'm like, I'm going to say something to somebody or do something really stupid, and I'm going to get fired real fast. And luckily, I I got picked up at this place, and it's all the same people. You're like, man, you guys have bad mouths. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm keeping my cussing down to the bare minimum. Hey, listen, like, we just uh, we just poured concrete in our shop today, so I've been hearing it all day long. It's it. I'm no stranger to it. <laughs> I've got plenty yeah. of guy friends, and I've worked construction enough that uh, I can I can handle it. Yeah, that's something I've never done. I've never poured concrete. I've hung drywall and mudded, and that uh, there's a lot of effort is dropped when i'm doing that i i, I saw a uh, comedy thing online i think it was on instagram the other day this guy was doing stand-up comedy and he's like man if you walk by a construction site and you hear hear the construction workers and they're like oh shoot gosh darn it oh oh geez this stinks he's like that place is coming down do not trust the work that they do he's like the more they cuss the better job they are at building or the better job they do at building. I'm like, hey, that that's probably pretty accurate. I've seen that same skin. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, it was it was good. I got a kick out of it. Uh, back to whitetail hunting. Uh, yeah. What what bucks do you have? Uh, you know, obviously your buck that you're going after, he got shot. Or do you have a a good group of up and comers that you've been keeping track of? Yes. So I had a three and a half year old um, that I let go multiple times. He's probably 140 inch, uh, three and a half year old, very clean 10 point. Uh, on my Instagram, I've got a video of him walking right underneath me. Um, but then uh, the neighbor messaged me because I had this really short time to eight point bully buck that was just absolute jackass. I mean, he was pushing everything out. I had a triple beam buck that just disappeared. Um, and then it was just him, that three and a half year old. Um, and then the buck that got shot. Well, the day that he ran by me at like six or seven yards, I'm pretty sure that bully buck kicked his ass. And uh, he disappeared for about 10 days. And uh, like I was getting that bully buck on camera nonstop. And I, oh, I had another eight point in there too. That was okay. But when that bully buck showed up, he was the only one on camera. I mean, he, he was ugly. He, he just, not impressive. I was like, I don't want to shoot this guy. And I went and talked to the neighbor and he's like, he's like, my wife is shooting that buck. Cause I don't want to wrap my tag around it. He's like, I really hope she kills it. And, uh, he texted me after gun season. He's like, look what I found. And it was that bully buck's dead head. I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like, it's dead. And then uh, shortly after he found that, that triple beam buck showed back up. I finally got a picture of him. Um, and then I got a really big 10-pointer that showed up on camera. I mean, 160-inch 10-point, super clean. He's on camera um, a bunch of times now. And then that three-and-a-half-year-old. So next year I'll have, I think I'll have a good lot to pick from. I'm really hoping that triple beam shows up more like he did uh, last, the season before last. 
He was a three and a half year old, super clean eight, but he had, he started to get that unicorn coming out of the middle of his head. I would have shot him if I had the opportunity, but he's just a huge body. I was calling him tank because every time I'd see him, I'd see his body and I'm like, that looks like a baby cow running through the woods. And sure enough, every time I put my binoculars on, I'm like, yeah, that's him. So, and the neighbors to the south of me, they'd see him standing in their, in their uh, pasture right by the turkey barns all the time. All the time. So, when he disappeared, I'm like, where did he go? And then about a neighbor, neighbor about a mile and a half away, is like, hey, is this that buck you're looking for? I'm like, I'm like oh, so he's over there now. I'm like, great. Like, that bully buck's got to go. Yeah. Dang, it's crazy. It, it's it's awesome and crazy to see the deer interactions and how socially uh, things play out on a property. Because I had never seen yeah. that. You know, like I, I would put cameras out and I'd get crappy pictures way back in the day when cameras first came out. And then I hadn't really done anything with it. I bought some like real cheap ones from Walmart for a little while. And then finally, I got some that take good video. And I was like, yeah. sweet, this is awesome. I'm going to go and I'm going to go and pull cards. They send, <clears throat> they send pictures of my phone, but not the videos. And so I'll go back and look and then watching these bucks come in and it really, it's wild. You see all of these younger, less dominant bucks just scatter and the big dominant ones will just come and push them all around. And it's pretty wild. Um, especially, you know, as soon as that velvet starts to drop, it gets, it just amplifies. And then obviously once they go into the rut, things get really crazy, but like just the, just the feeding structure, like they'll come in to feed. And if that buck wants to eat there, it's going to eat there and everything else better move out of the way. And I've seen it with does too. I mean, I've got plenty of videos of does rearing up on their hind legs, you know, kick, kicking the crap out of a couple, uh, yearlings or younger bucks, like get out of here. It's my turn to eat. Yeah. And I've, I've found uh, it really has a lot to do with that deer's personality. And I feel like the other deer will know, like, hey, that guy's okay. That guy's a jackass. Yeah. Like the buck I was after, he didn't seem to be real aggressive. And I've got a lot of pictures of him sparring with younger year and a half, two and a half year old deer. I mean, he, I mean, without a doubt, he would kick the shit out of those deer and they'd be gone. But uh, he just didn't seem to be like that. But that every time I get a picture of that stupid bully buck, there'd be no other deer around. There might have been a deer a few minutes before, but as soon as they saw him coming, they're gone. Man, that's so it's cool. I love I love that side of hunting. I love like everything that goes into it. But uh you had mentioned there's a three and a half year old. You've got a bunch of other deer coming up that you're gonna keep a close eye on and some that you would have shot if you had an opportunity. What do you have like a set spoken written structure of what you're going after or what the criteria is that they have to meet. Um, are you looking for like a four and a half year old deer or, or older or a certain size? Usually four and a half or older and kind of whichever deer that I get most obsessed with is usually sure. what I, do. and then I go after usually one, one deer um, is what I've started to do. Um, deer that I killed him. It was either him or that unicorn buck that I was telling you about, the one with the triple beam. Um, and it just, the way it worked out is he came by like point blank and I wasn't going to let him go. So he's got super tall brown. 
I don't know if you can see that from there, but I can see. I mean, I can see it next to that G two on his left side. Let's see. His brow time. His brow times are like eight or nine inches tall. I gotta. I'm gonna show you a picture on here. The listeners aren't gonna be able to see it, but if anybody is watching this YouTube video, they're obviously gonna see it. This buck showed up on my camera. The the 30 minutes after the close of season this year look at hopefully it comes through on here look at the brow tine on that thing oh that's nice (laughs) i'm like dude that's got to be a 12 inch brow tine i mean it sticks up he's got a fork g2 and it sticks up just as tall as it and uh the when i get the camera pictures sent to my phone it doesn't come through super clear right so like it doesn't come through in 4k or you know 1080 or whatever the unit of measurement is however many pickle pixels and then uh so when i go and pull the cards i get it in the full quality and that that buck was about 50 yards from the camera during during the evening and so i couldn't tell until i went and pulled it and i was like Oh crap! That's a good buck. I've never seen that buck f- before. I don't know where he came from, uh, but yeah. yeah, he's smart. He definitely is. I mean, like I said, never saw him before. Never had pictures, and then uh, season ended thirty minutes before he showed up for the first time. Yeah, um, we actually had a buck a lot like that this year. He showed up sometime in November because I run all Cuddy Link cameras. Oh yeah. Um, Bell cams. That's I have to do that living down here. I want to know what's going through. I want to know if I've ever got anybody trespassing, which I did for the first time. I had someone trespassing this year. Um, that got nipped in the butt real quick. All I did was send a picture of it to the neighbor, and the neighbor's like, "Yeah, here's the guy's phone number." I'm like, okay, off. <laughs> but um, yeah, that buck showed up on my uncle's farm. Um, which I have permission to hunt, but I set it up just for him and my cousin to hunt. My uncle's got ALS, so he probably only has this season, maybe next year left. So I was kind of leaving it alone to him. And monster eight pointer came through. Um, the other neighbor, he said that he saw him. Um, he's like, dude, this deer's huge. And then uh, we had this nine point four and a half year old nine point, another big fighter, bully kick the shit out of him never came back while the neighbor south of my uncle shot that buck um opening day and tank of an eight pointer i mean he's like 150 inch eight point i mean math his bases are like that big around gosh man i that's the amazing thing not that like every property has those deer but when you're in that part of the country, I mean, Wisconsin leads the country every year in Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young entries, uh, all time they lead it. And then once you get into certain counties in Wisconsin, it's just lights out. And it's not like that buck. There's bucks like that around every tree. People get that misconception. Like everybody's shooting booners every single year. Like you can get a property to the point where you've got a higher chance of it. But the wild thing is there's people on public land. Like, there's a chance that you go out on public land and you come across an absolute tank and their bodies are big. Their antlers are big. Like we, uh, we hunted up there for waterfowl 
not this past season, but two seasons ago. And we were over on the Lake Michigan side of the state uh, for people who don't know Wisconsin very well, the east side of the state. And we had these guys from Tennessee that came up to hunt with us. And we were driving around scouting fields for the evening hunt. And there were just some does out in the field. And they're like, dude, those are the biggest deer we've ever seen. And we're like, their, their bodies aren't small. I'm like, well, if you look, I said, those three are yearlings. That one's a mature doe. And they're like, wait, those are yearlings. Like those are bigger than our five-year-old deer down in Tennessee. And people just don't understand. I mean, they're big, big body deer down or up there. You're down here in uh, like Southern Louisiana are like dogs, like they're little. But you also don't see deer hit on the side of the road down here. We see like later spring, I'm going to see alligators hit on the side of the road all the time. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would uh, take Wisconsin hunting over Louisiana hunting. I know they produce some good bucks down there, but just the weather and the, the elements that you're hunting in, I dude, I don't want to be pouring sweat and getting tore up by bugs all the time when I'm out bow hunting. I would much rather be cold. I have never hunted down here. I work down here and like we have like mutant mosquitoes on our flight line in Galliano. Dude, they bite through our flight suit. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Funny because we have another base just on the other side where we did the base closed down, but mechanics would come on like, I don't know what's what's wrong with the mosquitoes here, but they're different these things are man eaters like yeah but we'll get in the aircraft you basically like get in the aircraft and you just slam the door shut and you're like come on get the blades spinning get up in the air so we can open the door and shoot these things out i'm just picturing it like the new jurassic park movie flying in a helicopter and these giant mosquitoes are just like trying to take you out of the air Uh, my like my first experience down in louisiana there's uh we had a pilot here who's a native to louisiana and i'm I'm walking back down the dirt road and I sit down in the grass to kind of look in the uh, bayou or spillway. I don't know what it's called. It's like a, a ditch and I'm looking for alligators in it. The grass is mowed and he drives by and he goes, dude, you are nuts. I'm like, why? There's not going to be any snakes here. Because they give you a briefing on uh, poisonous snakes in the air. I'm like, there's not going to be any snakes here. I'm like, the grass is mowed. He's like, yeah, there's other things other than uh, snakes around here. And he just drives off. Well, I get up and walk into my Leeds trailer and I was talking about a training flight we were going to go on and I felt something like sting me and I slapped my neck. Well, then they all started biting me. Fire ants. Oh, I didn't know what, I didn't really have any interaction with fire ants before until I came down here. And I, then I just started swatting myself all over the place. And Pete's from Florida, so he knew what they were. So he's laughing at me. He's like, yeah, you kill one, they send off a signal to the rest, and then they all bite you. And it's like, damn, like this place sucks. Dude, yeah, I'm out, man. The South is just weird, dude. Everything wants to bite you down there. Bite you, eat you, or kill you. Yep. That's everything down here wants to do. I'm like, yeah. And my, my wife is from here. So there's like no convincing her to move. And now she's established in her dental practice here. So I'm like, yep. Okay. Well, I guess I have no say so. Dude, are you worried? Are you worried about your kids having the weirdest accents on the planet? Like you've got Wisconsin and Louisiana. Like that's going to bad accent until she's around her family members. And then you just hear it. 
<laughs> then you Womp Rat come out, and I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> That's awesome. I called her Swamp Rat. She's like, do not call me that. And I'm like, why? She's like, it's like it, if you look it up, it means hooker. I'm like, huh? I'm like, okay. <laughs> dude that's hilarious it's funny man that there's certain terms that that come up so i uh i made it i made a tiktok video like way early on when my wife was getting me into tiktok and telling me like hey social media is how you're going to promote this podcast right and so i made this video and i said like oh check out my wife she's super hot whatever and i mean like the video was i think it was uh me walking in she was getting ready with her makeup and i go do any of you look at your wife and just go, damn it, damn it. And, uh, and then the hashtags on it was like, my wife is hot hashtag hot wife. And a bunch of people were like, dude, don't, is your wife really a hot wife? I'm like, yeah, dude, I think she's really hot. <laughs> and they're like, do you have any idea what that means? I'm like, no. And they're like, look up on urban dictionary, hot wife. And I mean, literally like 1.2 million views on this video 150,000 comments and everyone's talking about hot wife and so I go on urban dictionary and I look it up and it's like a woman who has multiple partners with her husband's consent and I'm like oh shoot okay uh well now I know how to get my videos to pop off really well just tag everything with hot wife uh but also there's a lot of people who are curious now if we swing that way yeah, well, I think I saw that. I think I saw that video, and I kind of remember seeing that hashtag. I'm like, he might not know what that means. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> did not know what that meant. Yeah. I'm like, dude, how are you just going to take a phrase like hot wife and throw that meaning on it? I There's probably more people like me that don't know what yeah. it means than do. Yeah, no, I saw some, like, when you were first starting out, I saw some of your videos. I'm like, hey, we should we should do this. And she's like, yeah, no. She's way. <laughs> She's just too bougie. She likes her like her space and big house and expensive stuff. <laughs> I just I can't see her to ever live in a like an RV or anything like that. Like my parents have a really nice trailer. Nope. <laughs> That's funny. My wife, uh, she always she always gives me a hard time about that. She's like, if you would have told me years ago that I would have dead squirrels and rabbits and deer heads hanging on my walls and things in my freezer, I, I would have called you crazy. When I first met her, she was a hip hop dance instructor. I'm talking like high top Nikes, like one sweat pant leg rolled up. I mean, really? she, she, for real, a hundred percent, man. And she's like, I would have, I would have called you crazy if you said I was going to go hunting or camping in Alaska with grizzly bears or eating venison, eating frog legs. And uh, yeah, she she is not even close to the same person that she was when we first got together. There's no way I could get my wife to do that. Like she just, zero desire, which I'm fine with because this is my hobby. Yeah. Um, I was married once before and I'd gotten her into it. And then I real, realized that it kind of sucked. But I mean, there are some women that really like to do it. And I think my ex-wife just did it just to try it. And it, uh, it didn't go over too well. So now it's wife number two. I'm like, do you want to hunt? No. Okay, fine. Okay. So <laughs> I tell, I tell all my friends that I'm like, I, I want my wife to like hunting, but not love it. And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm like, 
I still want to be able to do it. If she loves it, that means she's doing it all the time and I'm at home and uh, she does. She, she enjoys getting out there. And I think the number one thing that she, she'll, she'll see like, <clears throat> I guess like the huntress people on social media. And it's not even necessarily like that. That's what they're on there for, but she'll see a cute girl on Instagram with a buck. And she's like, Oh, I want to be that. Like, I want to, I want to be still cute, but also be able to shoot something. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can understand that, but I don't think no matter what, I don't think she'll ever be absolutely hooked on hunting. I think she'll do it or enjoy it. She'll do it for me. But other than that, she's not going to just go out on her own. Yeah. Which I'm perfectly fine with my wife, not wanting to do it. She's perfectly fine with me leaving for as long as I do. <laughs> I mean, when we first met, she was in dental school on two week off rotations, getting on an airplane and flying up to Wisconsin during my two weeks off time and then coming back. Yeah. That's how we were the four years while we were dating. So, I mean, nothing's really changed except now I live down here most of the time. Um, which is nice to be able to come home from work rather than having to live on base. And I've got a wood shop set up in the garage so I can do that sort of stuff. Um, and I get to go home and play lumberjack and farmer and everything else. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. To have that kind of separation, to be able to get out and do that type of stuff. Um, I just think it's needed. Well, dude, I appreciate you hopping on, man. I don't want to take up your whole day. I think we could probably talk for forever, but with us being so close, man, we're going to have to get together up in Wisconsin this fall and grab a beer or something, get out and uh, share more hunting stories, share trail camera pictures, things like that. Sounds good. Take it easy.